Well, welcome to the DBR podcast. Uh, we are getting this thing together about an hour or so, an hour and a half after the brackets were announced. Duke is obviously a number one seed. I know a lot of people had been doubting it. I was never in any doubt. We are number one in the South. Um, before we get to the bracket thing, I'm going to bring in my co-host this week, my my partners in crime, Donald Wine. Say hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. Thank you very much, sir. And Sam Klein, thanks for joining us as always. Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? Good, good, good. By the way, I'm Jason Evans. I forgot to mention that part about it. Oh, so, hey, Jason. Yes, how's it going? <laughs> it's going great because Duke's a number one seed, and we always like it when Duke is number one seed. Uh, so uh, let, let's start by looking at uh, you know where Duke is in the South. Donald, let me put it to you. Were you surprised that we got a number one seed? There, there was some doubt out there. And and tell me, you know, just big picture, really quick. What do you think of the bracket for us? So first of all, I I wasn't surprised that we got a number one seed. I thought we would be the fourth overall seed and be placed on the uh, side of the bracket with Kentucky. Um, but you know, I, I I like the fact that we're on the other side, uh, and I like the fact that uh, our our bracket on, at first glance was probably the best you know, best possible bracket we could get, you know, with our top seeds uh, being in a pod with Virginia and not UNC, which means that those uh, pale blue uh, fans will be far, far away from us. And I think that was is something that I was looking for. Uh, I'm glad to see that UVA was, was strong enough to maintain a number one, a number two seed. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and looking at our bracket, I, I, I don't see teams that really scare us in the South. Um, I mean, there's some team, Iowa State is, is hot right now. They won the Big 12, but uh, they're also in the other side of the bracket. Uh, Gonzaga, who you know probably in my mind was the weakest two seed, uh, is in our bracket. And you know I'm looking at St. John's and, and San Diego State, and that's a, you know I think those two teams are, are a favorable matchup. They're both tough opponents, but uh, I think you know we we have we have our hands full in a way that uh, we are the number one seed, and everyone's going to be taking their shots at us, but. There's not really any teams that uh, are worrisome to me at first glance. I I I think I agree in general um, with Donald with most of what Donald said. Uh, I thought that that his point about UNC not being in Charlotte is actually a way bigger deal um, than it might appear, sort of at at casual first glance. I don't know when the last time you guys attended a Duke first round NCAA tournament experience or first weekend NCAA tournament experience you know, at a site in North Carolina that UNC was also at, but the crowd is often 90% plus uh, in the pale blue. So this time, the fact that it's the Cavs there with us and not the Heels uh, is is great for us because we won't have the whole stadium rooting against us all weekend. Um, and and we may have a first tough, uh, a tough first-round opponent. Um, so that actually could come into play for us. But I, I also like our draw. I don't, I think that there are some interesting teams in our bracket. I, I look at Utah and I look at Iowa State um, as both teams that, that have uh, that have some potential, um, but nothing on the order of Virginia having to play a Michigan State in the second round. You know, in, in their bracket, um, Wisconsin getting getting a few tough teams in Baylor and and Arizona and and North Carolina, frankly. So I, I think that we got a pretty favorable draw. I'm happy about it, uh, and and I look for some pretty interesting matchups in our region. Um, Georgetown has a lot of talent. I mentioned Utah, Iowa State. Um, Davidson is always an interesting team in the tournament, and Bob McKillop, I think, has done a very good job with them this year. Um, but overall, uh, I, I don't think we could have asked for a better um, better placement. And the key that I think I saw, um, I can't remember who was who was mentioning this on, on Twitter or if it was 
or if it was somewhere else, that um, one of the things that was key for Duke was that we had beaten uh, head-to-head Virginia and Wisconsin, and so our seed was improved uh, by having those head-to-head wins. Uh, so, you know, the, one of the things we've been touting all along, you know, the strength of our of Duke's uh, resume is those head-to-head matchups, uh, those head-to-head wins against other um, top opponents, and and it looks like that that worked out very much in our favor when it came to this to this bracket creation. Yeah, I, I'll add something to that, which is I heard someone who who used to be on the NCAA seating committee, I think a guy who used to be chairman of it or something like that. I was I was reading an interview with him, and and he said the committee's far more interested in hearing about who you have beaten and who you can beat than who you lost to. Yes, there are bad right. losses. There are games out there where teams lose a game and the committee goes, ugh, you know, that, that looked kind of bad. But they're much more interested in talking about who'd you beat, where'd you beat them, was it a road game, was it a neutral court game? And Duke, obviously, in that regard, had a resume that was absolutely unparalleled. There's no one, no one in the country that comes close to the resume Duke had in terms of of road victories against really top, top, top tier teams. As we see, Wisconsin's a one, Virginia's a two. We beat both of them in their home arena. Um, uh, so when I heard that a couple of days ago, I, I sort of said, now again, this is not a guy who was currently involved with the seeding process, but he has been in the past. And I said to myself, that's a dead signal that they're going to talk about Duke and they're going to say, this is a one seed. So I wasn't all that surprised to see us get the one. And I, I echo what you guys said. Uh, I think that this bracket shapes up very, very nicely for Duke. Yeah, there are a couple teams to be worried about here and there. To me, the biggest one I worry about is Iowa State. Um, but but aside from that, I look at this bracket and, you know, like, like look at the look at the four seeds and five seeds who are the teams that we'll play potentially should we get there into the Sweet 16, uh, assuming there aren't a lot of other upsets. Uh, I look at the other four seeds, uh, Maryland um, and North Carolina, I think are both significantly better than Georgetown. I look at the other five seeds, uh, not Arkansas, but West Virginia to me and Northern Iowa especially are way better than Utah. I don't think very much of Utah at all. Um, So as I look around at the other brackets, I say Duke did really well here. We didn't get a, a top tier seed in any of the seed lines other than maybe I think San Diego State might be the best of the eights. I, I really like San Diego State. But you know what? Before we get to that, there's a first round game, or I guess the NCAA calls it round two, which is the most stupidest asinine no, thing I've ever heard of no, in my we're, life. No, we're, no we're, we're, uh, we're back to round one this year, I think. I think, I think this year they've, they've, they've reconciled their issue and, and are now back to calling it the first round. They call it the second uh, round. I think that takes place next year. The yeah, okay. the, the old, the so, old so it'll, it'll write itself soon. Yeah, okay, right. My mistake. And round one is when there are sixty-four teams. Oh my God, NCAA. It's it's anyway. But before we get to <laughs> that second round matchup that we were just talking about, we have the winner of North Florida and Robert Morris. Uh, Donald, was it you that had a look at North Florida? I had I had North Florida. Tell us a little bit about North Florida. Um, prepare folks for for whatever that may be. Should they be the team that wins? Okay. To prepare for North Florida, we need to abandon the paint and guard the perimeter because everybody on North Florida shoots threes at a greater than 35% clip. They, it sounds like from from my quick research, uh, they spread the floor basically just by putting everybody on the perimeter. Um, their their offense is, is just is just them passing around it outside. Uh, they have a few guys on the team that that average over you know, like uh, two or three assists a game and, and a lot of good shooters. Uh, they're led by uh, 
a sophomore guard named Dallas Moore who hits almost 40% from three. Uh, they've got a wing player, Bo Beach, who's 6'8", who uh, hits 37% from three. And, and they've got a couple guys that are averaging like five or six rebounds a game. So they're, they have a balanced attack in that a lot of guys are scoring on their team, um, but they are doing so exclusively from the outside. So we probably, if we have to see North Florida, we will probably not be uh, seeing any of that 2-3 zone. Uh, I expect a lot more close matchup play. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how we utilize Julia Okafor because he's really going to be at a disadvantage on defense if um, if all their players are, are standing outside the three-point line uh, where, where he's going to struggle. Um, but look for you know, Quinn Cook and Justice Winslow to really be uh, key to stopping North Florida. Um, they, uh, they were the Atlantic Sun uh, regular season and tournament champions this year, and this is not only their first appearance in the NCAA tournament, they've only been Division One for 10 years, um, but this is actually their first winning season. Uh, so you can imagine that the, the Ospreys from North Florida are going to be excited to be playing in this tournament. Um, but we'll see if they can get through Robert Morris. Which of you guys was, was previewing Robert Morris for us? Jason is raising his hand. I, I had a look at Robert Morris. Um, and your description of North Florida, that's a pretty good description of Robert Morris. They are a team that okay. loves to shoot the three. They love to shoot from the outside. Um, uh, Robert Morris, and by the way, their their nickname is the Colonials, the Robert Morris Colonials uh, from the uh, Northeast Conference. They they they're pretty good from three. They they hit 38% of their three pointers. Um, they're a fairly quick team. They get about eight and a half steals a game, which is a very good number. Um, uh, they've got uh, three guys, four guys, five guys who are all shooting three pointers. But really, it's primarily uh, three guys: Rodney Pryor, who's a six-four junior; um, uh, Marquise Reed, who's a six-three freshman; and Lucky Jones. What a great name! That is a really good name, Lucky Jones, uh, who's a six-six senior guard. He he he's a guard, but he's really like a small forward for them. Both Jones and Pryor take more than five three pointers a game. So uh, you know their their offense, much like the way you described North Florida, Robert Morris's offense is bombing away from deep. Um, they are, by the way, a very poor rebounding team. Um, they only, you know, we, we talked, we, we really learned about the concept of offensive rebounding percentage uh, when we talked about Carolina this year and, and how Carolina grabs, you know, mid 40s, mid to upper 40s percent of their misses um, that they then turn into an extra possession. Robert Morris grabs 31 percent of their misses. Uh, that's their offensive rebounding percentage, which is which is not terrible, but not very good. Their defensive rebounding percentage is just 64%, which is atrocious. It's among the lowest in Division One. That says to me that especially Jalil Okafor um, and, and Justice Winslow, Emil Jefferson, we're going to be hitting the boards hard, and I think we'll probably do very, very well offensive rebounding against them should we face them. Um, uh, and Sam, you know, I know you had a look at San Diego as we start to move on to the second round matchup, but, uh, let, let me ask you first, do you think the fact that we're playing a team that will have played a game just a day or two before, is that going to have a, you think that has much of an impact? Does that give us a little extra advantage here, um, playing a, a play-in, uh, game? Yeah. And I, I don't think I, I can't remember the last time we had, this particular situation, obviously, we've only had the multiple play-in uh, game participant thing going on for a couple of years now, and we and I don't think we've had one recently. Um, but it definitely helps. Uh, you know, we get to we get to scout these teams live um, in their most recent game, uh, so that that certainly helps. 
uh, and and we're going to be more rested. Obviously, um, we had a bunch of injuries kind of going into the postseason. We bowed out of the ACC tournament a little earlier than I think we would have liked. Um, so hopefully that means that our guys are going to be fresh uh, by the time Friday rolls around, which is when the Charlotte Regional happens. Um, so I'm, uh, I, yeah, I, I definitely think that's an advantage. Um, and also those other teams are going to have to travel. Uh, I believe they play their, their first round game in Dayton and then the winner has to then come to Charlotte, um, to play us. So yeah, it's it definitely an advantage. I should have also added, uh, cause I was, I was doing North Florida, um, their coach, Matthew Driscoll was an assistant at Clemson, uh, in the late, uh, late 90s and he left like in the early 2000s. Um, so he has seen up up close and personal what a really nasty Duke team can do to an opponent. Um, so you can bet that 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 he's prepared for that and is not and is not going to be shy with his players about you know what it takes to to beat a talented Mike Krzyzewski team. Um, so that was interesting. And then the other thing I forgot to mention was that North Florida is uh, is a school in Jacksonville. So maybe they're mad that Grayson Allen didn't go there. Uh, so they've got extra motivation to beat Duke, who, who beat them out for Grayson Allen in recruiting. I, I can only imagine. I, I really, you know, <laughs> have, have not paid attention much to uh, Atlantic Sun basketball until until today. But I think uh, I think Donald has San Diego State for us. So why don't we uh, why don't we let him tell us about SDSU? I do have I do have San Diego State, and the uh, Aztecs um, were first in the Mountain West uh, during the regular season, and they were the number one seed in their conference tourney. Um, getting to the final and actually losing to Wyoming 45 to 43 uh, this past weekend. Um, but that is, I mean, that is an, it was an awful game by all stretches. It was, it was tough to watch. Um, but they, uh, the main thing about them is they don't score a lot of points. They score about 62 points per game, which is 305th in the nation. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't score in a shootout or be in a shootout. They've been in a couple, um, but mostly – they, t- they pride themselves on their defense. They are second overall in the nation in points allowed per game at 51. I believe UVA is number one. So it's going to be kind of a similar game um, to the one that maybe maybe we saw in Virginia in Charlottesville. With it being a low-scoring game, they're being they pride themselves on their defense and going up against a team like us, which is actually one of those one of the higher scoring teams in the nation. So it'll be an interesting matchup in that end. Uh, they have uh, two guys that really score points, three guys that really score points. Winston Shepard, he's a 6'8 freshman forward. Um, and Akil Quinn, I'm, I'm sure I butchered his name, uh, Akil Quinn, uh, 6'3 senior guard. Um, they lead the team with 11.1 points per game. Uh, and J.J. O'Brien is a 6'7 senior forward, and he is just behind those guys at 10.1 points per game. They don't have that many people that can score uh, other than that. They, they are terrible from the line as a team. They shoot 62% from the from the charity stripe as a team, which basically means that we're going to see there's only one guy, Winston Shepard, that likes to get to the line, but he's not that good at the line. Um, they are also, uh, and I hate to bring this up, they also are not good from three-point range, unlike the teams that we will see in the first round. Um, they are 32% from three um, as a team. They don't like to shoot a lot of them, um, as, or as much as, as other teams that we've seen this year that don't put the ball in the basket from behind the line that much. Uh, so they don't, they don't shoot a lot of threes, but when they do, they end up being terrible. They like to go inside. Uh, they like to shoot a lot of two-pointers from the free throw line. Um, and, and I think that is where we're going to have to uh, defend very well uh, on the interior. With uh, And I think one guy who's going to be a main matchup problem 
for San Diego State on our team is Emil Jefferson. I think he would be the one uh, that if he has a good game, he is going to destroy San Diego State with their with their defense. Uh, you know, my comment on San Diego State, you're right. They've gotten in a couple shootout kind of games where they scored a lot of points. But I, I really wonder how they're going to keep up with Duke and um, uh, and succeed in scoring at the pace that Duke scores. You look at some of their scores. They lost to Boise twice. They lost to Boise State. And they scored 46 points in each one of those games. They lost a game to Wyoming where they scored 43. They lost a game to Washington where they scored 36 points. 36 points, that's maybe a half. That's a that's a bad half for the most part for for Duke. Um, they, they've got games they won where they where they only scored in the in the mid to low 50s. I mean, their most impressive win on their resume is a, a win they had over Utah. Utah's a pretty good team. They beat Utah 53 to 49. 53 to 49. Ugh. I, I, those I, are you awful know, basketball scores. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, they're uh, one, of their, yeah, one of their other really impressive wins, they beat Colorado State 56 to 43. Ugh, it, I, I just look at San Diego State. I, I do respect the, the uh, how hard they play. Um, and and there's no question that they are a very disciplined defensive team. Um, and they will present challenges for Duke. But, oh, boy, I, I, I just I, I can't imagine even Virginia couldn't couldn't keep Duke into the, you know, into the fifties. And I'm not sure that these guys are going to get to 70 or so the sixties, you know, 65, 70, 75, that you need to even really be competitive with Duke. I don't see it. I don't see it. Oh, I was going to mention that other than the BYU game that they played, they went to double overtime where they scored 92 points uh, in Maui in their first, I think it was their first game in Maui. The most that they scored in the game this season is 79 points. So they, they really like to, they like to drag the game down. They like to slow it down. Uh, and they like to, you know, they like games that are in the fifties and sixties you know, unfortunately for them, if they're going up against us, we like games in the eighties. Uh, so they're going to have to find, figure out a way to put points on the board against us. I was going to say that um, San Diego state and also um, their first round opponent, St. John are both coached by guys who have played against Duke a lot. Um, and, and who know what, who know what it means to play against Duke, not unlike, North Florida's coach, Matt Driscoll. Um, San Diego State's obviously coached by Steve Fisher. So uh, he's he's been around the block a few times uh, playing against Duke in big games, and, and he knows what it takes. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on San Diego State or St. John's, um, you know, if we get a chance to play one of them um, sort of being being lackluster or, or lacking um, the attention to detail that it takes to beat a, a disciplined Duke team. Um, so that that's something to, to watch for is that is they really uh, – you know, big uh, coaching matchups that are that are potentially going to happen in this pod. Well, Sam, you you brought up St. John's, and 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 that's who we need to talk about next. And and for the folks who haven't heard, um, Chris Obekpa, who is uh, St. John's's best interior player, at least defensively, uh, he's the guy who matched up or tried to match up with with Big Jaw earlier this season. He he's their force in the middle, and he's been suspended for two weeks. Um, uh, I, I sort of think two weeks is optimistic because I don't think St. John's is going to last two weeks without, uh, you know, Obekpa helping him out in the middle and, and, and protecting the rim. Um, uh, but, but Donald, you know, obviously we know St. John's well because we, we played them in a pretty important game back in January that just happened to be Coach K's 1,000th. Um, tell, tell me your feeling about uh, potentially facing them for the second time. Well, I, you, you, I agree with you when, when you say that Obekpa was – was the guy that tried, they tried to throw at, uh, you know, Big Jod in the middle. So 
uh, with him being out, it, it opens up the floor a lot more for him. I don't think, uh, you know, the guys that they have, or the other guys that they have on a team, quite compared to, you know, matching up with Ja. Um, and I think it was most of Ja's points came with, uh, with Obekba on the bench um, a couple a couple minutes in the uh, first half and second half. So uh, I really see uh, it's going to be a similar game. Um, hopefully we don't have uh, the ups and downs of the runs like we had um, uh, in January in, in, in New York, where we had basically, I think we were down 10 at one point, and then we came back, and, and it was back and forth for the rest of the game. Uh, I'd rather not take uh, a lot of heart medication if we play St. John's again. Um, but I, I think that we are a tougher team than we were back then. I think we're uh, a better team, obviously, and I think we would, you know, we shouldn't have any problems with them. I I really think that we have changed a lot since we played them. Obviously, that game was in mid-January, and Rashid Suleiman was still on the team, um, and that was also the point in the season, if you guys remember, that Justice Winslow was was going through whatever um, uh, broken or bruised rib problem that he was having. He was oh, limited you stole, in that first game. You stole what I was going to say. I was going to bring up the oh. very point talking about them. <laughs> oh, they, they, man. Well, they, ha- I, they haven't I'm, seen I'm, the real I'm, Justice Winslow. Yeah. So so in the first game, uh, Justice Winslow only played 10 minutes. Um, Matt Jones played 24. And I think now the, the sort of version of our wing rotation with uh, Winslow starting up next to Matt Jones and then Grayson Allen coming off the bench is a much better version of the wing rotation that we had in January, which was Rashid Suleiman getting a lot of shots and Matt Jones also coming off the bench. Um, uh, and Justice Winslow obviously being hurt. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very different game in that regard. I think that Okafor is going to be able to take advantage of whoever they're going to try to throw at him um, without, without Obekpa. Um, so I, I really like this matchup for Duke. I think that um, the, the way in which we beat them last time is only going to be enhanced uh, by the improvements that we have seen from mid-January now to mid-March. But, Jason, did you have anything to add about St. John's? Well, uh, you know, the one, one thing I would add is that, uh, you know, I'm not sure, as much as we're saying they didn't see the real Duke because we've changed so much, I'm not sure that we saw the real St. John's because D'Angelo Harrison, who's far and away their best player and, and one of the better players in, in St. John's recent history, had a pretty poor game against us. He was 5 of 14 from the field, and he's a better shooter than that. Um, and I think that if St. John's thinks they have a, a better shot in in this matchup, assuming they get past San Diego State, I'm sure they're thinking that they're going to be far better from the perimeter than they were in that game. They hit 26% of the three-pointers in that game. Um, and St. John's is usually a fairly decent team from, from the perimeter from outside. And I imagine they would hang their hat on the fact that it was a very good, very competitive game, at least until the very end. And they had a nice lead, um, uh, you know, until they started missing all their three-point shots, and that if they face us again, they think they'd have a, a, a better showing, and certainly they would think that D'Angelo Harrison would shoot better than 5 of 14 from the field. So we do need to, to worry about that, but I, I go back to uh, missing Obekpa is, is is huge for them. He, he's their shot blocker, and without him, um, and, and again, you know, he, 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 didn't get to, he didn't get to play all that much against Big Jock because he was in foul trouble so much, um, uh, Okafor went for 17 and 10 last time uh, with Obekpa not there to check him. I'm not sure who they're going to, I'm not sure who they'd put on him. I mean, their backup center is Joey De La Rosa. J- Jalil will go for 30 if Joey De La Rosa plays 25, 30 minutes 
uh, against him. Um, and, and he may go for 30 no matter who they put on him. So, uh, so I, I think it's a, a really, really tough situation for St. John's if, uh, you know, if they manage to get past San Diego State. And I think uh, that's a game where I really feel like San Diego State's going to win. They're, they're, a, they're a better team to me than St. John's. I, I was just going to add that uh, sort of the most intriguing thing, or one of the most intriguing things about, about watching Duke, especially in the last like two months, has been the evolution of the way that we have played defense and that, and that Coach K has been um, so willing to change the defensive structure from game to game. Um, and I think that the, the potential teams that we can face in this first weekend, we see a few different styles. And so I'm, I'm interested to see, again, sort of how that, how that defensive evolution continues and, and if we can slow down you know, the sort of different game plans that, are being, that will be thrown at us uh, in this first weekend. Because I think, I think we've sort of summed up that, that all the teams that are in Duke's Charlotte pod, um, none of them are going to be as talented as Duke but they all have very specific ways that they like to attack you. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how, how Duke responds to that. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, it, it'll be an interesting weekend. And, and, and to some extent, the best game, the best game of the, uh, of the weekend in that pod is probably going to be the anticipated Virginia, Michigan state matchup. Um, I, you know, I think Michigan state is clearly playing, way better than they were earlier in the year. And uh, if I had tickets to Charlotte, that'd be the game I was really looking forward to. And by the way, I think Michigan State will crush Georgia. I, I think all SEC teams suck. Um, it's not because I hate Kentucky. It's because I think the SEC was terrible this year. And uh, probably Georgia didn't even deserve to go to the dance. I bet if you put if you put Georgia in the ACC, there there's no way they're winning half their games this season. So, all right. So enough Jason, of my you have, uh, do you have do you have Wofford over, over Arkansas as your 12-5? Oh man, I'm I'm looking hard at that one. I'm looking hard. By the way, I'm, <laughs> super I'm, I'm, hard. I'm bummed that that Bobby Hurley and Buffalo got West Virginia because I think West Virginia is a very very tough. West Virginia's just got too many athletes, um, so that's a really tough matchup for them. But yeah, my five twelve that I like the most is probably uh, yeah, it's probably Arkansas falling to Wofford. SEC die. Y'all are awful. You're just not a, a basketball conference. Also, one final note that I wanted to mention about uh, about Duke. Um, and this is a hat tip to my friend Jeff. Uh, if we win a game in this tournament, it will be our 100th NCAA tournament win. Ooh, that's, that's incredible. That is impressive. Nice. That's, that's a big number. And who has the most? Any, do you, any of you guys know? Probably Kentucky, right? I have. I would guess. I think Maybe I, Kentucky, I Carolina. Kentucky. I mean, we got to be up there. I don't Carolina. know. We should Kentucky's do some got the most wins I mean, all time. Oh, did you check that? You Do you know that? The most, I know. Well, no, Kentucky has the most like overall total program wins, um, but I, I don't know what the what the tournament success is. They, I mean, they had that. They had. They were really good in like the mid '90s, and then and then they weren't as good in the in the 2000s when there were you know there have been more tournament games. Like I, you would want to say UCLA, but UCLA's tournament dominance was when there were only what four rounds or five rounds in the tournament instead of six. Yeah, well, um, and and so. UCLA, the total number of UCLA wins in the past decade is probably six. Well, they they had those final Ten. fours. They had those final fours with Kevin Love and and Russell That's Westbrook. But yeah. yeah, in general, yeah. Russell Westbrook. Yeah, yeah, but oh, what? I mean, maybe ten. Yeah. What do you think? That Ten UCLA yeah, wins maybe. in the past decade, maybe a little tiny bit. Like I mean, you know, a, a number uh, that's going <laughs> to let's 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 keep guessing at facts that we can easily look up. <laughs> yes, great idea. Great idea. Well, we know Coach K has the most wins of any coach overall, and I think he's at like eighty. So, 
uh, we yeah, might actually like that. be at the top or, or right near it. Okay, well, we're, we're making fools of ourselves at this point because people out there are probably Googling. They, they hit that's, pause. That's what we do every week. That's, that, that's, the, uh, that's the sort of analysis we bring you. It's foolish. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, guys, I want to go back for just a moment to, uh, to an ACC tournament that, um, you know, I, I think a lot of us um, are bummed because uh, we, we really wanted we really want Quinn Cook to, to get a title, and, and it's been a while since Duke has won an ACC tournament. Um, uh, and I, this is another fact I could have looked up to see when was the last time. I, I think it was, I think it was 2010, but, uh, I could be wrong, but regardless, um, uh, it didn't end the way we wanted it to. We had a fabulous game against NC state. Um, and then a not so fabulous game against Notre Dame. Uh, the first 35, I'm sorry, first 25 minutes of that game were about as bad as Duke can play. I think, I think. Most people would agree about that. Um, uh, Sam, why don't you uh, give me your reflections, your thoughts on the ACC tournament? I felt really good after we beat NC State. That's that's my impression of the tournament. No, I uh, the, the NC State game was was more or less a clinic uh, in how to put away a team in the first half, and and I felt great that night about about where we were headed that weekend, and I thought that we'd be able to do the same thing to Notre Dame, but uh, but I mean the shots weren't falling. It was a it was you know. All, like all the things that, that Duke can do to lose a game, starting with making only three out of whatever it is, 17 of your of your three-pointers, um, that's how you beat Duke is, is let them shoot threes and miss. And, and Notre Dame did that. And, and then on the other side, um, we couldn't stop their penetration. We couldn't stop their ball movement. Um, so I hope that it is a uh, learning opportunity for the guys. Um, you know, we had, that, we had that tough Virginia Tech game towards the end of the season, but we still won. And sometimes, sometimes the losses are good because they, cause they rattle everybody a little bit and say, hey, look, these are the things that we do wrong. Um, and and we, do them, we can do them wrong enough that they can cause us to lose a game, not just, not just play a close game. Um, so I'm hoping that, that um, the Notre Dame game provides us some, some context for, for things that the team can improve. I, I like that was very well stated, sir. Donald, what about you? Yeah, I, the same thing. I, you know, I think with the NC State game, it was kind of a throwback to the to the Duke, you know, Duke games when I was in when I was in college, where we we started out, we start out hot, we put the team away early, and everybody got to play. It was it was a, you know basically a perfect game. And I think with with Notre Dame, it was it was a struggle all night. Anytime we tried to get some sort of run going, even when we got it down to four points, they were able to, you know, just hang on and put it away. And uh, I think Jerry and Grant and, and, and Pat Connaughton were, were ridiculous in that game, just not necessarily with stats, but with just how they, how they performed and how they kept the team in it. And every time something seemed to go our way, they were there to kind of steal the momentum right back. I think the key in that game was that they went to the line 25 times and made 22 of them. Um, and we went to the line 14 times and only made seven of them. So there's your, there's your ball game right there. We need to improve the free throw line, and we need to stop this penetration that is either getting uh, letting teams get good shots or getting them to the foul line, which uh, they're, our, our opponents are hitting uh, way more free throws than we are. I wanted to add before we before we came back to uh, to Jason, uh, our last ACC tournament victory was in 2011 against UNC, and it was a it was a three peat. We won in 09, 10, and 11, and then we haven't obviously won it since then. Um, so it was it was my senior year of college was the last time we won it. 
Uh, and been... I, th- I believe it's the first. I believe it's the uh, first time in ACC history that this conference has gone four straight years without a team from the state of North Carolina winning it. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I believe that. Well, yeah. If you look at if you look at the ranks of the teams that have won. Uh, the ACC tournament. Uh, it's basically Duke, UNC, and then a huge drop off to NC State, and then like, uh, you know, the the the, it, the entire rest of the conference combined is like less than NC State. Uh, yeah, it, it, it the tournament has been dominated by the state of North Carolina, or more specifically, it's been dominated by the Triangle. No offense, Wake Forest, love you guys, but uh, it's been the Triangle that has dominated the ACC tournament until lately. Obviously, my reflection, my thoughts in the ACC tournament. Uh, obviously, the NC State game was a ton of fun and great, and um, uh, and and we're all really worried about Marshall Plumley turning pro um, after his performance in that game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, MP3 sorry, coming. Sorry, U.S. Army. Oh yeah, exactly. MP3 coming to join his brothers in in the in the pay for play league. But uh, on the Notre Dame game, um, I, there were a couple points in that game where I, you know, would check the box score while the game was going on, and I I would say to myself, if we were hitting even a not a good but just an average number of our outside shots of our three pointers we would have the lead or it would be a very close competitive game. It would have changed the complexion of the game completely. Um, and, and instead, obviously we, we kept on shooting and, and that's what we're supposed to do. And we kept on missing and that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, uh, an abysmal game from the perimeter. On the other hand here, my takeaway is Notre Dame's a great team. Notre Dame's a three seed in the tournament. And I think Notre Dame has an excellent chance to make it all the way to the final eight and give a real, real scare to Kentucky. Um, uh, and in fact, I've, I've been talking for several days with friends of mine that I really hope I, I, I knew Notre Dame was going to be the number three seed in the Midwest. It was like, it had to happen that way. Um, I knew that Duke and Virginia would be in the East and the South probably. And that meant it made sense for Notre Dame to be in the Midwest. That's where Notre Dame is geographically, you know, preferred to be from. And, uh, and I'm so looking forward to, I really hope it happens. Kentucky and Notre Dame is the ultimate matchup of a team that shoots from the outside and plays on the perimeter against a team that does nothing but go inside and plays um you know in the paint and i and i just think it's you know it's the contrasting styles it's the best defensive team against arguably the best offensive team what a what a amazing matchup that'll be and i'm really looking forward to it but the reason i reflect on the ncaa tournament as i'm talking about this is i got way off track so tyus jones and quinn cook who arguably been the best backcourt in the country uh certainly over the past month or so um uh, that was Quinn Cook's worst game of of his entire senior season. There's absolutely no question about that. Two of 12, one of eight from three. Um, that was Tyus Jones's worst game in two months. It was, uh, you know, among his two or three worst games of the year. He had four turnovers, five assists. Um, uh, you know, he was four of 13, only one of five from three. Uh, frankly, Justice Winslow for the first 25 minutes of that game looked like he didn't want to be there. Uh, that was his poorly as he could possibly play. He was turning the ball over. He wasn't, you know, being aggressive or trying anything on, on offense, on defense. He looked absolutely disinterested with the exception of Jalil Okafor. There isn't a single guy in the Duke team who played not even an average game um, for the most part against Notre Dame. And yet it was a four point game with two minutes to go against a three seed against one of the best teams in the country. And to me, that takeaway is, Man, even when this Duke team is awful, even when we're play- we're shooting as bad as we can from the perimeter, we've got our two guards playing as poorly combined as they can all year. We're still right in it, and really, it was some 
bad free throws. If if Big Jaw hits those two free throws when we were down four points with a minute and a half, two minutes left, uh, you know, I, I think Notre Dame's in panic mode at that point, and Duke's probably going to win the game. Um, so, and and both teams and both teams at that point were were battling foul trouble. Um, so everyone was very nervous about about the way they were playing defense and and not playing as aggressively as I think either team wanted to be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and oh, and the other thing to point out for Notre Dame is, by the way, they got a career game from Bonzi Colson. Bonzi Colson won't play that well ever. Um, you know, I don't think so. So sort of not everything going right, but a lot of things going right for Notre Dame. Uh, Almost everything going wrong for Duke. I mean, look, how often is Notre Dame going to hit 88% of their free throws or 22 of 25? Um, and and that's what it took for one of the top teams in the country to beat Duke. I think that's a really good sign. Look, I wanted to win the ACC tournament, but in the end, my takeaway is this Duke team is going to be an exceptionally difficult team to beat, an exceptionally difficult out in the NCAA tournament. Because we, we saw our worst, and it took one of the best teams in the country playing one of their better games to beat us. You guys think I'm crazy? No. I think no, you're, I agree with right it. on about that. Yeah. All right. Uh, before, we, before we move on from the ACC tournament, um, I just wanted to point out that this is the last time we're going to be in Greensboro for the next five years. Um, so I hope that nobody feels uh, particularly attached to it because you're not going to see the Greensboro Coliseum anytime soon. However, next year, Donald, uh, the ACC tournament is in your backyard. So I expect you to party at my house. For us there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll be, it's, it's, going in, down it's in Washington year. next year, and then, and then at the Barclays in, in Brooklyn the, the two years following that. So this is the, uh, this is the, the weird expansion of the ACC that we're, we're seeing as it, as it happens. Yeah, that's a great point, Sam, about uh, us not being in Greensboro after this. You know, I will certainly miss the place uh, for the next several years. Um, but I, I look forward to Donald being in your neck of the woods. That'll be a that'll be a lot of fun um, up there in, in Washington. You got you got a you got a bed for me, right? I can I can crash at your place. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's all it's going down. The, we're gonna have a block party. I love it. Can't wait. I love it. Sounds good. Hey, guys, as we do every week, it's time for our player of the week. We had two games, Notre Dame and NC State. We were just talking about them. Um, Donald, why don't you tell me who's your pick for player of the week this week? Uh, my player probably comes as no surprise. It is Big Ja uh, with his 28 points against uh, against Notre Dame. I thought he was awesome in that game, um, as he was uh, for most of the week. And uh, I think he was over far far and away our player of the week. Sam? Um I know that he he didn't he wasn't exactly productive against Notre Dame, but uh, just for his for his enormous performance uh, against NC State, I'm going to give it to Marshall Plumley. Who, let's be real, he's not getting a lot of Player of the Week nominations, so uh, I'll I'll throw him the bone this week for for his impressive dunk display all over NC State uh, on Thursday night. And and I am also I am agreeing with you. I'm also giving it to Marshall Plumley. I wanted to give it to Big ah. Job. I, I probably should have given it to Big Job, but you know what? He's won quite a few of them. And uh, uh, Marshall, what what a wonderful what a wonderful fun situation that was for him. Um, nothing but slam dunks. Uh, I think it was probably incredibly demoralizing for NC State to see them just getting their butts kicked by 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 a guy who who averages like two points a game. Um, so, uh, it, you know, really great for Marshall and, and a big salute to the, to the, the future, uh, armed services, uh, member Marshall Plumley uh, as he wins my player of the week guys, before we go final four picks, we got to have final four picks, right? No question about Absolutely. it. Sam, who, who, who you pick and who you like, and, and, and I don't want to hear your eventual national champion. I just want to hear your final four. 
All right. So uh, in the South region, uh, I like Duke. Um, really? I think that, really? I think, You're going out I in the limb we, there, huh? I, I think we mentioned that there are some that there are some tough matchups in there that could happen. Uh, but Duke's the strongest team in that region, and um, I I expect it to come out of there. In the East, I I, I just don't trust the Big East. Um, so I'm taking Virginia, and in in an enormous ACC homer uh, situation, my Elite Eight in the East is a Virginia-NC State matchup. Um, so so there you go, Wolfpack. I think you're going to the Elite Eight this year. Um, in the Midwest, I, I picked Kentucky. I know, shocking, uh, that Kentucky might be able to, to outlast Maryland and Notre Dame, although, as Jason mentioned, the Notre Dame game should be interesting. And then in the West, which I think is the most interesting region, I have Baylor beating Wisconsin and coming out of there. Um, I, uh, I think that one of those, one of those big 12 teams is, is going to show up, and I think it's going to be Baylor. Donald, your turn. So I, I, I've been taking a look at it, and I reserve the right world to uh, change my picks at a later date. However, the way I see it right now, out of the South, I'm with Sam. I like this Duke team. I don't know. I, I haven't heard much about them this year, uh, but I think, uh, you know, they're, they're poised for, for big things. So I, I, I look to see them in Indianapolis. Uh, in the East, I'm going to go out on a real limb, and I'm going to say Louisville emerges from that bracket uh, and goes to Indianapolis, uh, which would create a very interesting situation because in the Midwest, shocker here, Kentucky, um, that would create a very interesting matchup, not only on the court, but in the stands uh, in Indianapolis with both of those fan bases joining uh, Duke. Um, in the West, I, I've been lo- watching this Wisconsin team a, you know, a lot this year. Um, I thought they, you know, fed off, you know, I thought they, you know, did very well in the Big, T- Big Ten tournament. And I see them finally getting that, getting that bracket and getting, uh, getting to Indianapolis. So I got three chalks. I got Kentucky, Duke, Wisconsin, and then the sleeper, Louisville. Uh, I like you for picking a sleeper in the South. I'm going with SMU. I really – no, of course. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going with Duke. I'm, I'm picking are they, Duke. Are, are, uh, is, uh, is, is, is SMU getting uh, Emmanuel Moutier back? Yeah, right. Hey, if they did, they'd be really good. Uh, they'd be – That would change things a lot. That, that still that still would not change things enough for me not to pick Duke this year. Um, I love I love what this team's been over the past month and a half. And um, yeah, hey, uh, we're 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 going we're going a long way, including to Indianapolis. Um, Quinn's going to get uh, at least that one banner and hopefully another one. Um, uh, uh, up in the East, um, I, I like Virginia. I think that the extra week off um, is going to uh, allow Mr. Anderson to to. Get a little bit better and and uh, you know get his get his hand fixed um, and I think when he comes back people forget how good they were <laughs> they were really really good um, and I I really like Virginia coming out of that East bracket um, in the Midwest uh, God I want to pick Notre Dame I really want to pick Notre Dame but I'm picking Kentucky because I'm boring like everyone else on this planet. Um, I do, by the way, think that the winner of the West Virginia, Maryland game will give Kentucky all it can handle. Um, both those teams, I think uh, have the kind of athletes that stay with Kentucky won't be intimidated by Kentucky. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think that uh, once Kentucky gets past them, I, I absolutely think they will be playing Notre Dame. I think Kansas is a shell of what it was earlier in the season. Um, uh, the Kentucky Notre Dame game, it's just going to be a great game. That's that's like the single game I'm looking forward to more than any other in this bracket. But I think Kentucky wins it. And then out west, I'm picking Arizona. Um, I, I like Arizona. I know the Pac-12 was 
um, was down this year. And I, I don't have much respect for any other Pac-12 team, but I think Arizona has some pretty good athletes. I think they match up well. Um, I think Wisconsin, Wisconsin may have some trouble with with North Carolina, um, who I think they'll get in the Sweet 16. Um, and then I, I just like I like Arizona. I, I think Arizona may have a little bit of chip on their shoulder as well because they, they feel like they could have been or should have been a number one seed and and they're out to prove something. So those are my picks. Um, am I crazy? Should I have taken Notre no, Dame? I don't think think so. Should I have taken Notre Dame? I should have taken Notre Dame, shouldn't I? It, it would it would be bold, um, but but also potentially quite foolish. I uh, I, I wanted to circle back because you, you brought up one interesting game. Uh, there were a couple of interesting second-round matchups that I wanted to highlight that, you know, potentially will happen. The first that, that, that you mentioned was West Virginia-Maryland. Um, not only are those teams both very strong this year, but the schools sort of secretly – not well, not secretly, but maybe uh, – maybe They hate less, each other. Like nationally known. They, <laughs> they really don't each like other. each other. Uh, I, I am from the state of Maryland. They do not like Duke, but they really don't like West Virginia either. Uh, and when they play in football, um, the, the Morgantown and, and College Park are like the riot capitals of the country. Um, so uh, that that would be a ferocious game. Uh, in the same region, you have a potential second-round matchup between Wichita State and Kansas um, for the Battle of Kansas. Uh, and that is a game I believe that Kansas manages to dodge often. Uh, and they don't like playing Wichita State because they know that Wichita State's good. But that is a very potential uh, uh, second-round game. And then on the other side, um, the Michigan State-Virginia potential second-round matchup I think could be the best game in the tournament. Um, Michigan State has played really well recently. They they almost uh, took out Wisconsin today. And so they are they are playing with all the confidence uh, that we expect from an, a Tom Izzo team in mid-March. And obviously Virginia is – is now going to have Justin Anderson back and hopefully uh, healthier than he was in the ACC tournament. So I look for that game to be a really good uh, matchup that's going to happen in Charlotte, hopefully across from a game that we're going to play against San Diego State or St. John's. I love this. This is kind of fun. We should go around and, and highlight some other games that we think are, are really interesting, compelling matchups. Let me do one really quick. How can we not talk about North Carolina and Harvard? Tommy Amaker. Yeah. Coming back to play North Absolutely. Carolina. Um, I, I unfortunately think... Harvard to me, Tommy's done a great job of getting athletes and getting players there that that they can really, to some extent, overwhelm the other kind of uh, guys they face in the Ivy and and allow them to compete athletically with with a higher tier of of uh, of school uh, of program, I should say. Um, I really think they're going to have their hands full with Carolina. Um, I think the Carolina size inside is just something that Harvard's going to really, really struggle with. Um, I'm not sure who Harvard has, who's going to have much hope of stopping Bryce Johnson, but, but I love that matchup and and God, I hope Tommy wins it um, uh, because, you know, it just, Harvard's won a game in the tournament two years in a row. I mean, can you imagine if they actually got it three years in a row? I mean, there, there are plenty of big, big, big time programs that haven't won games three years in a row. Donald, you, you had one you wanted to talk about, I think. Yeah, so I think w- probably the most interesting matchup uh, in this tournament is one that to this date has never happened, and it's the fact that Dayton will be playing in one of the playing games on their home floor against Boise State. And I feel like if I'm Boise State, I'm really, really angry at the fact that I'm playing Dayton on their home floor. Traditionally in the NCAA tournament, you don't play in your home floor. You you have to go away, and you see that a lot, especially with – uh, if Syracuse was in the NCAA tournament, for example, they wouldn't have been placed in the East because they host the East Regional at the Carrier Dome. So Dayton, if they get past Boise State in the playing game, they get to play Providence in Columbus. 
So they get to travel maybe two hours to play their second round game uh, a couple of days later. That's a huge advantage. And uh, I, I'm really interested to see how Dayton, uh, Dayton performs tomorrow on their home floor. And then if, if they get past Boise State, which is, is also a tough team, look for them to beat Providence in Columbus. That's, that's my pick. Ooh, I love it. That's some good stuff. And, and by the way, I agree yeah. with you. I, I, when I first heard, I, I was listening on the radio, actually, when, when they were announcing the brackets. Um, and some of these guys uh, on ESPN were talking about the fact that Dayton was getting to play in Dayton. At first, they were confused. They were saying, wait a second, that means the game is being played in Dayton. Because Dayton isn't actually playing there, is there? Are they? And then, you know, it sort of slowly dawned on them. And they were irate. And I, I agree with them. Um, the NCAA tournament is not for home games. These are neutral site games. I don't think we've ever seen a home game in the NCAA. It's certainly not in, in 20, 30 years that I've been really, really paying attention and watching this yeah, thing. And, um, and this is the only situation I think where it can happen because they schedule all the playing games for Dayton and there's no contingency plan for it. So if the NCAA decides that Dayton is, is one of the last four in, they have to play uh, at, at the Flyers arena um, for, that, for those playing games. So, so let me ask you then, guys, do you all think, should they have like switched Dayton with, say, UCLA or Texas, who are the other 11, some of the other 11 seeds that weren't in play-in games? Should they have well, a it's shooter? debatable that UCLA should have been in the tournament at all. You know, Texas as well. Texas yeah. as well. Texas yeah. is a classic example of a team that, that played a really, really tough schedule, played a lot. They, they, they faced some of the hardest teams in the country, and they didn't beat a single one of them. What is, what is they Texas? They were basically Clemson this year, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, um, I, you know, there's a piece of me that thinks, you know, with a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, they should have found a way to not have Dayton play in Dayton. And I wouldn't have had any problem at all if they'd switch them with with Texas or UCLA. And if I'm in Boise State, I'm furious. I am absolutely livid that they did this to me. And that's um, not and that's not a casual trip from Boise to Dayton. No, it's not. It, it absolutely no. is not. Yeah, so a couple years ago, uh, I remember Villanova um, was, was hosting the East Regional at Wells Fargo Center, which is traditionally where they play the majority of their games. And I recall that that year, they played almost all of their games on their smaller at, uh, on-campus gym, which I think seats about you know, 7,000 fans. They played almost all of their games there so that they would be eligible to play in Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center should they yeah. have been drawn in the East. And I thought that was one of the only times I've seen a team actually do a work around that way, kind of a loophole. Um, but no one has, I don't think to, the, to date, since this tournament has expanded to neutral sites, I don't think anyone's played on their home floor uh, other than Villanova and, and, uh, in the Well, and, and, and when Villanova, when you say that Villanova is a host in Pennsylvania or in, in Philadelphia, uh, they're listed as a host along with, I think, the rest of the, of the big five schools. Um, so it's it's a little mm -hmm. different than say Syracuse being the only like Syracuse is the only host at the Carrier Dome um, when they play NCAA tournament games there they put Syracuse's logo sort of on the like in the corner of the floor I think um, and nobody else is but right. I think in 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 those in those NBA arenas you know if it's in Philadelphia it's being hosted by all the Big Five schools and if it's in DC it's being hosted by like Georgetown and GW and and whoever else um, so yeah and I, I I remember that coming up that that there's you know, it, it's only if you play a certain number of games at that site does it technically become your home floor. And it doesn't actually matter if you're listed as a host. It matters that, like, Villanova only played, like, three games at, at, at that arena that year. So they, it technically wasn't a, a home venue for them. Well, and, and the thing I would add to that is if you only played three games there, 
Um, yes, you get the advantage of sleeping in your own bed and not having to travel too far, but um, you don't know the floor. You don't know the the gym and, and, and you know, where the dead spots are and, and you know, uh, it, knowing exactly how, how the sight lines look and like that. The way you do when you play, you know, 10, 15, 20 games on, on your home floor in a given year. So I don't have nearly as much of a problem with that as I do with Dayton getting, uh, you know, an absolute home game on a floor that they – they know incredibly well that they practice on every day. Um, it, do you uh, think that? Do you think that looking back, Brad Stevens wishes that he had had scheduled more uh, non-conference games at Lucas Oil uh, in 2010? <laughs> that's that's a that's a good question. That's an interesting point. <laughs> would would uh, would the last second Hayward hey, Hayward would have would have would have known those sight lines. He would have had it down pat. He would have made exactly with that, that last would have been different. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I, obviously, they weren't going to play extra extra neutral court games in, in, at the at the Colts arena, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty satisfied with how things turned out uh, for the Butler Certainly. program. Anyway, anyway, uh, so uh, that pretty much wraps it up for us here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Um, Sam and Donald, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, we had a good time talking about the NCAA tournament. Um, uh, yeah, and, and you know the start of the NCAA tournament, I should say. Um, we will be back here. Uh, uh, next week at this time, fingers crossed, we'll be talking about who Duke faces in the Sweet 16. We don't want to presume anything, but uh, obviously, as you heard from listening to us earlier, uh, we like our chances. Um, gentlemen, any any quick parting thoughts? Or are we ready to go? I'm so excited. This is the best time of the year. Uh, just cancel the rest of this week. Uh, I'll be watching basketball. Amen. I completely agree. Although, you know, I say it with a little bit of bittersweet um, feelings about it because even though I'm so excited for the tournament as I am every year and, and uh, as great as it is, we also know there's only one more L and there's only, you know, there's only three more weeks or so of basketball, college basketball left. It's in that regard, it's, it's really sad. And, and, and the tension that mounts with, with the possibility that, you know, we could be watching some of our favorite players play for the last time, uh, at least in a Duke uniform, I hate that part of it. I hate that part. Can we have a second tournament? Can we have the April Madness? Let's have a second tournament in April. What well, do y'all think? They'll have the. Uh, they'll have the. Uh, do they still do that? That North Carolina schools pro am thing um, at the end of the season. Yeah, that ain't the same. Yeah, well, I, I realize that, but you can still see the guys playing together in a in a much smaller gym and and not you know with all the high stakes and 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 the emotion. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. It, it, it's sad, and especially because we know that this year, not only do we have, you know, such a such a great leader in Quinn Cook graduating, but it looks like a number of our underclassmen are going to also be leaving early, um, as we've had the last couple of years, uh, for to pursue their pro careers. Yes, but let's hope it's a few weeks away at least. Let's hope we have Absolutely. three more weeks at Duke Bas- three more weeks at Duke basketball. Indeed. That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking to forward it. to. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, we will let the Duke marching band take us home from here and uh, check back in with the DBR podcast. We'll be right back talking about the tournament at this time next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.